make sure to check us out on Letterboxd for written reviews. For films that we've done not only on the podcast, but outside of the podcast too. Links in the description below. Welcome back to the Rewatch Podcast. My name is Jaden. And I'm Samuel. And this is a podcast where we talk extensively about a certain film and then decide whether they deserve a rewatch from you. You can find us on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any other place that you listen to podcasts. And if you enjoy the show, please leave a like on the YouTube video. Um, if you'd like to reach the show, you can leave a comment on YouTube or send us an email at the one rewatch podcast at gmail.com. What are we going to be talking about today, Samuel? So we're going to be talking about a very exciting new uh, superhero film. I'm not going to lie, 2023 so far, we're, we're halfway through the year and it's been pretty terrible in terms of releases, um, but thankfully... It looks like we're over that sort of dry spell at the start of the year, um, which kind of always happens. And now we're getting into some of the serious hard-hitting titles. So we're talking about Across the Spider-Verse today, obviously the sequel to uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, um, which was our very first podcast um, yep. that we ever did. So it's a pretty special one getting to do another podcast for the sequel. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I'll just start with a synopsis on the film. So after reuniting with Gwen Stacy, Miles Morales, Brooklyn's full-time friendly neighborhood Spider-Man is catapulted across the multiverse where he encounters a team of spider people charged with protecting its very existence. But when the heroes clash on how to handle a new threat, Miles finds himself pitted against the other spiders and must redefine what it means to be a hero so he can save the people he loves most. What do you think of that synopsis? I mean, you know, it's very... It, it's long. It, it, it's kind of symbolic in the movie in the sense that, you know, there's a few different moving parts. And then at the same time, this is probably going to be the synopsis for the next one as well. Um, the, the next film could just be... I can like the synopsis for the next film could just be Miles continues his journey through the multiverse. Like the, mm. they they deal with all of the main ideas um, in that synopsis, and they've crammed it all in there. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it looks pretty long, um, but you know that's uh, no indication of of the quality of the film, or, or you know how how messy or not messy it is. Um, Letterbox has some pretty terrible plot synopsis sometimes, so <laughs> it's pretty generic, isn't it? Um, yeah. It doesn't exactly inspire uh, no. excitement um, no. amongst the movie-going population, but you know they often don't. So, <laughs> yeah, um, <clears throat> I have I have an issue with the title, and I think we'll get onto this later on because it might invoke some spoiler territory. But um, look, I understand into the spider-verse as a title it worked pretty well for the first one you know they were 
spoilers for anyone that hasn't seen Into the Spider-Verse, but if you're watching the second show uh, podcast that we've done, I'm assuming you've seen the first movie. Um, it's it's sort of, you know, they it was the start of the, the Spider-Verse um, in terms of this animation sphere, and that works as a good title. And I think Across the Spider-Verse also works as a good title. But when you look at the third movie, it's like, what does beyond the Spider-Verse even mean? How is there something beyond this? Like, mm. what could they possibly come up with that translates to that title? Like, I just can't fathom it. Are they, mm. they going to merge live action with this? If Like, what are they going to do? Like, it's just, it's a really weird title to choose. Mm. But then again, I'm also leaning on the side of, I hate, movie titles that have part one and part two in them so i guess i'm just going to take what i get but i don't know yeah across the spider-verse and then beyond the spider-verse i mean and, and let's not forget the very first movie is into the spider-verse it mm. so these are all all of these movies are going to be connected by this common thread mm -hmm. being the spider-verse right mm -hmm. so you know they could have they could have maybe gone with spider-verse colon something you know um, yeah instead of putting spider-man but you got to put spider-man in there because that's the money maker you know that's you got to have the tagline in there you can't just have you couldn't have miles morales and gwen stacy yeah. um in the title you have to have spider-man and then you have to cram in some other things um just to tell tell the main movie going audience what it's kind of about but then across the spider-verse beyond the spider-verse into the spider-verse it's all garbage like mm. it doesn't mean anything mm. um it's just different words <laughs> you know? yeah. like yeah. it's just you just know that like I, I i don't expect that in the next film there's going to be something that is um, more significant than the spider-verse or the multiverse or whatever mm. um because it's literally the most significant thing you can get like i don't understand how you could go i feel like they've it. already done it all like what else can they do obviously mm -hmm. spoilers so we won't really get into it but i mean this movie covered a hell of a lot of stuff so yeah i mean and so did the first you know like the first movie was was the first movie that really in terms of the comic book space as a whole mm -hmm. it was really the first film that was uh, well recognized and sort of just a very popular film globally mm. that used this concept of well what if you're a spider-man in one world and now yeah. there's a different reality where instead of a spider-man it's a spider woman um, yeah so what if that exists you know because obviously they, these concepts have been around in comic book stories for a while and you know they're very controversial sometimes the fans love them and sometimes they're they're sort of you know very controversial and fans don't like them very much mm -hmm. um but this was the first you know into the spider-verse was the first film to sort of prove that you could use this concept um but then also tell a good story um sort of as a um sort of symbiotic yeah, yeah outside of like the multiverse concept that still exists as a very very good film like yes and, and i feel and like that's seen, pretty rare you know yeah, like we've seen a lot of films that have come out since then that rely on the multiverse without as a actually, cash grab 
yeah, without actually having that heartfelt story behind mm. it, mm. you know, Doctor Strange, the Multiverse of Madness. Did we do a podcast on that one? Yeah, yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've just Go completely watch it. forgotten about it. Like, yeah, but I know but what yeah, you mean. Like, That's a great example, right, of yeah. just a movie that's using this mechanism, this comic book mechanism of what if you could just turn every universe on its head and do all sorts of possibilities mm. and, and, you know, produce a film around that. Um, yeah. yeah. Anyways, let's get into the stats of um, the movie. So 4.7 on Letterboxd. Um, this might be one of the highest rated films on Letterboxd right now. Um, I think it is. I think it is. I think they said Which is insane, man. Like, that's, and, that's crazy. And just for our yeah. viewers out there, just for, ref like, a reference point, um, The Dark Knight, which is a go-to, is a 4.4, I think. Um, Shrek 2, because why not? Um, Shrek one, 2. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the greatest movies of all time. So. Right? So Shrek 2 is a 4. Um, and oh, what's, like, another... That's low. Let, let's chuck Parasite in there because I think Parasite's probably also a high rated one. 4.6. So, yeah. And so, I, okay. So that sort of brings up my point here of what I was going to say on this topic. Mm. Um, Parasite is a very film nerd friendly movie mm -hmm. and it's a very popular movie on Letterboxd as well. And something about Letterboxd is that into the Spider-Verse, if you, if you use Letterboxd as a platform, you will see um, on the, on the homepage, there's, they always have like the top 10 watched uh, top 10 talked about films. Yeah. And, and it's always a, a good gauge. You can usually see like the new releases and stuff like that. So it's a great platform. Um, but one thing that you notice is that into the Spider-Verse is on there a lot. And mm -hmm. so is um, Parasite and, that's not really because of something that's happened in the news. It's just because they're really popular films on the platform. Yeah. And so I think, so there's 8 million uh, Letterboxd users just in general or active users. And so um, two, 290,000 people have logged the reviews. So um, logged spider-man across the spider-verse so far and i believe into the spider-verse is um the 2. most 2.17 million yeah and i think that's the most logged film on the platform mm. so so it's important to take that into account as well um but then at the same time you know we can't really use that to explain why this this 4.7 is so high when we look at platforms like rotten tomatoes imdb um you know less reliable platforms yeah. but they're also having incredibly high scores. Well, um, that's, that's a good segue into this. So Across the Spider-Verse currently has a 9.1 on IMDb, which is really high, and a 95% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is also really high, but Rotten Tomatoes rates pretty... Um, they're pretty lenient with the yeah, rating. Rotten so. Tomatoes is 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 probably my least favorite um, platform. Yeah, <laughs> in terms of review, like to where to go to get criticism. Because first of all, most people don't understand how it works. Um, if there's a sixty percent score, it means sixty percent of reviewers think it's better than fifty percent, mm. and so they think it's a good movie, and then the forty percent thinks it's it's a bad movie. Mm. Um, 
so but and then but then you know one when captain marvel came out um they changed the algorithm because it was getting such a low audience score so you know i just don't trust um rotten tomatoes after uh, letterbox is my go-to and that's why we always yeah, kick yeah it off exactly. with that. but i think this whole discussion is is pointing you know in one direction and that is is this 4.7 um well first of all is it going to remain a 4.7 is there some sort of recency bias um is everyone just being a bit sucked to the hype and then secondary is this film a 4.7 is is that a rhetorical question or do you want me to answer no, that? i'd love i'd love you to answer both um i think a 4.7 it's not going to remain a 4.7 usually there's a bit of a drop off with um films and you know there is recency bias that being said um i mean so what's the what's the first one actually let me just 4.4 4. so the okay, that's no, very sorry, high 4.5 4.5 well. is the first okay one. see that's that's very high as well and that's a great movie so it deserves i think the four point something but i don't know if it quite deserves to be above the dark Knight. <laughs> i think you know? i think at minimum 4.3 is pretty good um uh, yeah i'd say a 4.3 is very inaccurate representation of what this movie is and mm. yeah but a 4.7 is a bit that's really high and i mean that's it's the best movie on the platform right now so for instance so i said that two hundred and ninety thousand people have logged the film of those um 61 have given it a five star like mm. that's incredible like in terms of the averages because you have to take into account like people who are just going to give it zero just because they hate having fun and and you know people like to be contrarians and say well you know actually you know everyone else thinks that this is really good but but i'm actually a film student and i know that you know it's actually a two star um you know so there's always going to be those people but there just seems to be dominating on the five star review so yeah and look i think obviously you have to take into account like there's only been 290,000 ratings of this. So you have to look at the ratio, like compared that to Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse where 2 million people have logged it. Um, and it still has a 4.5 rating. There's a significant difference there. Obviously the rating is going to be higher for across the Spider-Verse because less people have seen it. Um, so that's just, you know that's just general stats um but i think we're we might be getting a bit off the ball here just talking about stats and such let's oh, move on to it. uh directors i had concerns about the directors i don't um, blame you i don't blame you looking because at they them. got it so right with the first one with rodney rothman peter ramsey and bob Pershietti, i want to say um and then they just switched directors for the second one all new directors and I had concerns because these directors have done pretty much nothing. Like they've done low yeah, ball DC only, films. Yeah, only one of them has actually done anything else. Um, and but, that's the D, that's the guy that's done like a couple DC shorts. So like yeah. a couple 10 minute cartoon sequences. But I think um, what makes these films so good is the backbone that they have with phil lord and chris miller and 
to boot Amy Pascal as well, because she's also really good. Um, and they've continued, those three people have continued across both of the films. And I think they're doing the third one as well. So to me, that's where the strong note is. It's with those mm. three people. And I think um, I can speak for both of us when we say we love Phil Lord and Chris Miller and what they do. Um you know they've done the lego movie they've done um the lego batman movie if you haven't seen mitchell's vs the machines it's also a really good movie obviously these two spider-man films they're just like a really good duo that make really really solid movies um cloudy with the chance of meeples not a bad movie but oh did they direct that one uh producers i think they were Okay. Yeah. See, they don't like to direct a lot, actually, do they? They no, because obviously they were involved with the Lego Movie, and they directed that one. Yeah. So sorry, they did direct Cloudy with a Chance of Meeples, and they also directed the Lego Movie, and okay. Twenty One and Twenty Two Jump Street, which <laughs> yeah, yeah, interesting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the the Lego Movie. I mean, we did a podcast on that. That is just one of the best animated movies to come out in recent memory. And then they went from that and they didn't do the second one, um, which they Just easily could have. Terrible. Yeah. And it was bad. But then, so then they moved from that straight into, uh, into the Spider-Verse, the first Well, one. I think they did the Lego Batman movie. Uh, so well, they, they, oh, did they write that one as well? Or cause they didn't direct, they didn't direct um, that one. Maybe they were producers. No, no, you're right. They didn't write it. Um, so they've done Cloudy with the Chance of Meeples was early on in their career. Um, then they also did Cloudy with the Chance of Meeples too. <laughs> uh, then I think they did the Lego movie, Lego movie. No, then, the, so they did the Lego movie, Spider-Man to the Spider-Verse, Lego movie two, And then obviously this one that we're talking about now. Um, I mean, that's an incredible run of movies, you know, that's that's... an insane run of movies. And I, and I feel like not enough people talk about these guys in the film industry. Like Mm. they are headlining the animation game right now. Cause they were supposed to do, um, solo Mm -hmm. Star Wars story went and then they got fired, um, by Kathleen Kennedy, um, which is what else did you just find out about? And so they were also, um, suppose they were the first, people i think who were consulted about this upcoming flash movie all the way back in 2016 or whatever so that would have been right off the heels of um the lego movie mm-hmm. um, and they were talking with Zack snyder they were doing it tr- they did a treatment for the flash film mm-hmm. and then obviously all of the stuff with snyder happened so i imagine they just split and then went off to sony to make this um this franchise but my goodness i mean Star Wars and DC both fumbled these guys. Mm-hmm. And that is a crucial, crucial mistake because their writing in not only the Lego movie, but Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse and now across the Spider-Verse, the writing is what makes these movies so good. Mm. The dialogue, the humor that's injected in every scene, but never takes away from the stakes mm-hmm. um, is just beautiful and it reminds me of the old pixar movies um with their charm and the sort of the heartfelt um themes in them mm-hmm. um just the, the characters are always go on really interesting journeys they're very character focused movies 
um, except for maybe the exclusion of the cloudy with a chance for meatballs. Um, <laughs> hey, that's a good movie, man. Uh, it is, but it's not as good as the Lego movie and Spider-Man. No, and no. Spider- you know, I do like grow, that movie. You know, as they, they kind of grew up a bit, um, but not uh, not enough, obviously, because they then went into the Lego movie, which is not a very grown-up movie, but they are excellent writers. Um, and, yeah, to fumble these guys, I mean, you've got to be an absolute idiot. But then again, you know, they are. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> DC and Star Wars, they are absolute idiots. You know, we know exactly. this, this is common, common ground. We've, we've been over this before. But yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they and they bring their same level of creativity into the sequel, which is what I was worried about as well, because I thought that they were going to direct this film. And once I found out that they weren't, um, I thought maybe they were just producers. And as soon as somebody becomes just a producer, you never know like how much they're actually, you know, involved. Yeah. Mm. So they could be really invested or they could just be um, receiving a paycheck while they're off doing another project. But yeah, it's, it's really good to see that they still have major voice in these movies. Um, and even into the third one, I think they're still sort of involved in that chair. So, I mean, I've got really high hope. hopes for the third one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You definitely, I definitely trust their vision and, yeah. you know, whatever, whatever they do next. I mean, whether they, you know, after they complete the beyond the Spider-Verse, whatever they go off and do, I'll certainly be watching. For sure. For sure. Um, so let's move on to, I'll ask you, would you recommend this film to someone who hasn't seen it? I think um, if you're a Spider-Man fan, absolutely. This is one that you're going to have to see. Mm-hmm. Um, it just nails a lot of the Spider-Man um, mythology in terms of like the themes in Spider-Man films. Yep. Um, you know, and just I want to think. I want to ask yeah. you as well because I've been asking my dad for so long to watch Into the Spider Verse, and he always brushes it off because it's an animated movie. Oh yeah, that's slander, man. I don't, I don't, I don't like so, people that say that. You know. So, just, in terms but, of people who wouldn't otherwise watch movies like this, would you recommend Into the Spider Verse and Across the Spider Verse to that specific audience? Yeah, because it, it reminds me this franchise and same with the first Lego movie and the Shrek movies, the first and the second, you know, they're movies that are probably going to be most enjoyed by, you know, maybe the six years old to 14 years old mm-hmm. age range, you know, the, the bright colors, um, you know, it's, it's obviously not an, a, um, like a gory action movie. Like it's all PG, you know, the humor is very, um, you know, it's very tame. Mm. So you could say like, it's a kid's movie, but this is the thing that we're missing a lot today is back in the olden days when Pixar were making good movies, they made movies that were for kids, but were so good and had such good writing and good humor that they also appealed to adults. Yeah. And you know, same with the Shrek movies and the examples that I said just before. And I think this franchise is a great example of bringing that back and kind of like Puss in Boots, which um, kind of set the world on fire at the end of last year um, because it was just just really, really good. Or was it earlier this year? Um, 
possibly that was no it was the end of last year wasn't it was it? last it was like, year yeah, yeah right on the edge um but yeah so the first film is a really good movie about friendship and family um but you know i a lot of people will just say oh I, you know i'm not into spider-man and you know the bright colors and whatever it looks like a kid's movie and you know that's fine you know people can people can say that but but um yeah it's it these are films that transcend. i think they challenge they challenge the animation game like that's what they're doing right now yeah i i don't think you can just write off a movie just because it's animated mm. um you know, in some it's, ways it's, it's yeah. better than live action at yeah, least and, you know yeah now yeah yeah they can definitely do much more with the format um mm. and they have more sort of creative freedom than you would with you know real life actors because you have to manage them mm. um, but yeah i mean the first film won an oscar you know it's very well reviewed and you know a lot of people that i speak to that perhaps wouldn't be superhero fans have seen it um and liked it so yeah I think if you've seen the first one, definitely go out and see the second. Um, but um, if you have not seen the first one, then you need to go go and watch that one because um, you'll need the the details. Yeah. Um, from that first movie, it's um, this isn't a standalone adventure. Like it, this movie doesn't work um, in the sense that the Dark Knight works uh, independently of batman begins and the dark knight rises mm -hmm. um, you know the dark knight's a great film beginning to end it just also happens to be the middle film in a trilogy of batman movies that are yep. that are you know connected yeah um, this this film is sort of a direct continuation of the story and it's going to directly lead into another film and you will have to watch all three um to understand the full story um, mm -hmm. at least in, you know, the first film works by itself, obviously it's an origin story, mm -hmm. um, but you need to watch that one to enjoy the second and obviously the third. Yep. Yeah. Um, so moving on, um, it's interesting that you also bring up Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, because people that were involved in that, um, have also done these Spider-Man movies and um i think also mitchell's versus the machines and because it's um, very similar animation style isn't it? it it's it's sort of like this higher mind of animation like this evolution of animation and they've got like mm. their own little gang of people that work on these films that are sort of challenging the game and it's really cool to see like these people come together and work on all these different ips mm. to make you know these franchises how how would you Incredible. describe like the the artistic style of these movies? It's it's very difficult to sort of put into words, um, um, just the visual elements here, because it's a very good looking movie, obviously. Well, the first one was just sort of ripped out of a comic book, is the way that I'd describe into the Spider Verse. But but it's but it's not two D, right? It does have like three D elements. No, it's got three D elements. Um, yeah. And then there's also like hints of like expressionism in this one, like some of the animation particularly in spider gwen's universe um it goes along with like the mood and, and what's happening mm -hmm. in terms of the story but we'll, we'll touch on that later on but there's definitely an evolution of animation in terms of um 
from the first movie to this movie, which they knocked it out of the park. Um, yeah. So, oh man, I can't wait for this movie to come out in 4K. It's going to look so oh, good. <laughs> it's going to look beautiful, isn't it? I think I have the first one on um, 4K. I might have to double check, but if I have the first one, I'll I've definitely got this. it. I'll probably pick up the second one. Um, yeah. That's going to look so good. I know I have the Lego movie on 4K, so that would. I still need to watch that on 4K, but I'm sure that would be amazing. Um, is this film worth a rewatch to someone who has already seen it? Uh, yes, yeah. I'm, I'm going to need to go and see this movie again. Um, I don't know whether I'll make it to the cinema or not, um, just because you know, the next couple of weeks are going to be really busy for us. But, um, and then we also have to see um, the new Jennifer Lawrence movie at least if, three times. So, um, so I'm going to be pretty busy um, in terms of my movie watching thanks mm-hmm. to uh, Jennifer Lawrence's new movie, No Hard Feelings, coming out uh, June 15th, I believe, uh, or June 12th or something. But then we've also got The Flash, so it's a very busy Why time. do you know the date, bro? That's <laughs> way too counting, specific. Because I'm counting down the days, so that's why. I need you to... Uh, have you got that saved in your calendar? Please yeah, no, I, 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 <laughs> I save all my movies, like all the movies that I think I'm going to go and see in the calendar. You're a man of cinema. What are you doing? Yes, yes I am. I have um, Oppenheimer and Barbie in there as well. Um, so, I'll let those pass, yeah. but no <laughs> Mission Impossible as well. But, um, That's yeah. fine. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's. I don't know whether I'll get to go see it again in, in the cinema, but obviously I'm definitely going to pick up the 4k as i just mentioned mm. and um i'll watch this movie a lot i've probably seen the first film i don't know how many times i've logged it on letterboxd specifically but i've probably seen the first film over five six seven times yeah um, i mean it just never gets old it's just such a tight script mm. um and yeah yeah so it's just such an easy watch and i and i watched it the day before um watching this movie mm. just to i should have done that but yeah yeah, and it just flies by, man. Like, it's a 117-minute runtime or something yeah. like that. Yeah. And just under two hours. And, like, it just flies by. Like, it, it's so efficient. Mm. And, um, it's yeah, it's always just such a great watch. Let's segue into the cast. Um, any standouts for you? Look, man, Hayley Steinfeld is... Um, she's... She's my world. Let's be real. Um, um, but uh, everyone else is okay as well, I guess. <laughs> this is just like no. a Haley Steinfeld appreciation <laughs> podcast. Yeah. No. Honestly, though, um, I'm not like the Shami Moore, however you say his name, and Haley Steinfeld. Like Shami they're Moore. the two. They're the two most prominent characters, and like you know their voice acting performances are okay. Like they're not um, asked a lot of mm. in terms of the script. Yeah. And that that makes it sound like the script's not good, but, but you, you just know what I mean? Like the, the emotional performances, they're not really necessary. Um, this isn't sort of like a Tom Hanks, um, Tim Allen sort of scenario where yeah. the voice acting though the voiceover performances are just so good that um you have to write home about it but 
but they're, they're reliably good. And um, Jake Johnson as well returns. He was obviously my favorite from the last film. Oh, and, you know, there's, there's some good additions as well. Um, Oscar Isaac um, is a quality actor, mm-hmm. um, absolute quality. And then um, also Daniel, uh, how do you say his last name? Kaluga? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, Harry he, Brown. He was, yeah, so mm-hmm. he's in like Nope and Get Out and, you know, all the Jordan Great Peele movies. Yeah, he's sensational. And so he was great as well. But yeah, this 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 cast is just stacked. Um, mm. um, yeah, I won't say a, f- a few others because it's probably spoilers. But yeah, I mean, everyone's, everyone's very competent. Everyone's very good. Um, and, you know, everyone plays their role. Yeah. I think we have to mention um, Jason Schwartzman while we're at it. Um, Another really, really fantastic actor who you'd find a lot in a Wes Anderson movie. Um, In fact, I think he's in all of the Wes Anderson films or quite a a lot of them Mm. from what I can see. Um, He also plays one of the evil boyfriends in Scott Pilgrim, if you've seen that movie. But I think he might have had the standout voice performance here. I um, honestly, I second that. I yeah. second that. Yeah. Like, I know what you mean when you say um, they're not expected a lot of or to do a lot of work. Like, and mm. I think that just comes down to really good casting. Like, what they do is um, just like bread and butter for them. And yeah. I think like, they, they just speak, you know. I think, you know, the only people that really do a performance in this film um, is uh, Jason Swordsman mm. yeah. and um, Daniel. Kalua, um, but, but because even with they, Daniel Kalua, like he's, no, but he's, he's changing his voice. He doesn't speak like that. He doesn't speak like Spider Punk. You know what I'm no, saying? No, no, no. Like, you need to go and watch him in interviews. I just watched an interview with him before. The accent he has with the character and his accent in real life, it's actually from the same region in the UK. Really? Yeah. Because so, that's just like his voice was just so. It was it was hilarious, but it was like this this uh, really deep. British, I don't know, like the subset of, of British accent, you would call it, but it was just absolutely hilarious. So he was, he was Spider-Man, uh, he was like punk rock Spider-Man or something like that. Spider-Punk, yeah. Spider-Punk. Yeah, Spider-Punk, Hobie Brown. Yeah, and I, oh, he was, he was incredible. So yeah, um, but, but let's go back to Spot, um, mm-hmm. he, you know, that acting performance. What, what did you like about it specifically? Oh man, like he just nailed like the humor. Like, um, yeah, I mean, it's just like such an interesting character to start with. Like, no one's heard of the spot, and it's kind of like what James Gunn did with all of the D list characters in the Suicide Squad. But, um, no, I think the, the way that he spoke and the way that he presented himself was just like a really interesting take like he and 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 i think the transformation of the character throughout the film was also really good Mm. um like that first maybe call it like half hour of the movie where we were introduced to the spot incredible writing man like they they nailed it yeah yeah the guy um that miles throws a bagel at yeah that's hilarious because everyone remembers (laughs) everyone remembers that like moment because it's just one of those very short um, blink and you miss it sort of things, but great sort of comedy uh, in that first movie. Yeah. But yeah, so Spot, I'm just looking at now, like Spot is a 
Marvel villain. Um, yeah, no, he's he's an actual villain. Yeah, so I thought yeah. they could they it just seemed like a, a a villain that because it worked so well with the story they were telling. Um, I just assumed that they that this was an original character that they created, um, but that goes to show how well integrated this story is with some of the comics lore, which I really mm. appreciate. Mm. Um, so it's good. That's what I love about these movies is the appreciation that they have for the source material and, and the fact that they can take these nobody characters and just throw them on the big screen and it works, man. Like just, just really, really solid writing. And I've been doing a bit of research because I want to know more about, um, you know, this, the spider universe and, and all of the different characters and um, yeah, no, it is an actual character and he set up this, squad like sort of like the the suicide squad or like um you know batman's sort of um i don't know what batman would call his but like you know how you have like the um spider-man's um what's it called the sinister six sort of like that he set up a sinister sinister six squad called like Mm. the loser society or something um, which was just full of like a bunch of dealers characters so it's called as you know know that these characters actually have an origin and that they're being mm-hmm. used you know it's not just another um you know uh, joker or another rendition of um vulture or something like that you know a character that we've already mm-hmm. seen so it, yeah. it's cool to see refreshing characters yeah yeah no absolutely and i i think obviously we've seen in the trailer there's a lot of different spider-men that are being pulled into the film um, through this sort of spider society, which I won't mm-hmm. talk about much more, but um, you see in the advertisements, there are a lot of different Spider-Men in the background. And, you know, those Spider-Men, they all have um, a connection to some sort of source material, um, whether it was one page of a comic book or it's Miles Morales. You know, all of these characters are coming from the Marvel comics. And I just, you know, really hope that the creators of those characters were sort of you know fairly compensated and you know recognized because i know it's a tough tough industry and a lot of writers they go in they create these characters um and then they just get kicked off Mm. the project and then they never see a single um, piece of cash you know for co-creating a character like bane who's then goes on to be in a billion dollar dark knight rises movie you know it's just stuff like that so you just really hope that that um sony and marvel sort of did their homework and you know really sort of honored at least gave a good credit to um all of the creators of Mm. um these different characters which would have been very hard to do because there's just so many of them (laughs) yeah some some poor sony intern spent many many days just researching who created that character in the background yeah yeah there's a lot of work stick the name in the credits yeah yeah yeah. um let's go on to the visuals if you don't have anything else to talk about no acting and characters wise what did you think of the visuals in this movie um look i think the i recall when we talked about the first film and its visuals um, we were very positive and my own uh, my only sort of negative for the film was the lower frame rate that they use in some of the action scenes can be a bit disorientating really actually i actually yeah i I said that in the first film um you know when we did the podcast on it and um 
and I actually didn't have the same problem for this one. So I, I appreciate that. Um, I don't know whether they actually did up the framework, um, frame rate or not, or maybe I just adjusted to the Spider-Verse sort of style. But um, they, they obviously went and just worked very, very hard at making this movie as, as visually interesting as they can. I did feel like sometimes there was a lot going on on the screen and I just couldn't take it all in, especially when you're at the, you're seeing it on a big screen in the cinema. It's just so loud, like the colours are just so loud. You, you, you don't know what to focus on. Everything's happening really, really fast. I think, you know, once you get the, the disc at home and you can see it on a slightly smaller screen, um, it'll be less sort of jarring. But I did find at some stages that there was just a lot of information and I felt like I was... I didn't know where to look, you know. Did you actually have that at all? Or? Yeah, like I, I know what you mean when you say you feel a bit overwhelmed with all of the animation that's going on. Like, um, it's funny because before we actually went into the movie theater, we saw a sign um, out the front which had like a epilepsy warning for, I think it was... Guardians Fast, 3. Yeah, Guardians 3 and Fast X. And I remember saying to you after the movie... Um, like the first opening sequence, even with the opening titles, like who mm-hmm. made the movie, I was having like an epileptic fit in my chair. Well, it's a bit of an over-exaggeration, but <laughs> like <laughs> it was just so bright. Yeah, it was, um, a, it was a lot, but especially, yeah, those opening credits, they really went for it. And I think it was almost a bit too much. It was a bit too much. Um, I, I understand your concerns and gripes when you say that the animation it might be a bit too much in certain sequences but to um to play devil's advocate here um in the first film they actually animated miles at a lower frame rate to show that he was um not as what's the right word to use here not as experienced as peter parker or, or gwen um and then when he actually had his moment in the first movie where he you know sort of became himself towards the end of the film um they animated him in a higher frame rate Mm. which is just a really really cool touch so i feel like a lot of it is purposeful but i know what you mean when you say it can get a bit out of hand at times yeah 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 and i'm you know, the movie just looks so good in every other scene that it's fine. Um, mm. And I don't think I'll have the same problem when I'm viewing it at home. Yeah. But yeah, I, I I just, I think it's sometimes it was just a bit much, like they were just trying to do too much. And mm-hmm. maybe that's a thing where the editor is looking at their monitor with the film on it and going, oh yeah, this looks so good. Like, look at all those visual elements. But then there needs to be somebody there saying, well, remember, we're putting this on a screen that's like, you know, 20 meters wide. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so we need to take that into account. But yeah. yeah, if you have epilepsy, like, don't see this movie. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. You, you need to be very careful. Like, that's a genuine warning. Yeah. Um, yeah. Don't take that lightly. <laughs> what was your favorite... Um, uh, that's, and that might be entering spoiler territory. I might ask you that question later on. Should we talk about the score? Yeah, let's talk about the score. Because obviously the first film, like that score, um, not only 
the actual like composing, but also the pop songs that are attached to the film that were made especially for the film. I'd more to call it like rap. Like it's Oh yeah. I I, I don't mean to sort of categorize the music. I just mean like, you know, popular songs um, that are put in like, you know, Sunflower obviously was the main one. Like Mm -hmm. like those songs are just so iconic now. And even you know, the Spider-Man theme that they use in that film, just brilliant. So we had high expectations for the sound and the music coming to this one. So what did you think? Um, yeah, obviously huge fan of the the original um, track. Like you said, both Daniel Pemberton's work as the scorer of the film and then also the compilation album. Um, standout tracks on the first one probably have to be Scared of the Dark Mm. um yeah also i mean sunflower is just a great song um what's up danger is also really good oh yeah Yeah. um what's up what's up danger and scared of the dark are actually utilized in the film for emotional purposes yeah um whereas sunflower was just like a, a song that he put on his headphones so that wasn't actually like used in the film but i just oh that what's up danger scene and then the scared of the dark scene like mm. those montages just worked so well and I, you know am i wrong or do we not have any of those in this film i wouldn't i wouldn't say you i'm kind of sitting on the fence here and i and i think i say that because i haven't seen this film enough and the reason that i connect with all of the songs from the first movie so much is because i've seen the film so many times mm. like I think if I see this movie again and again and again, I'll start to really connect with these songs. And I, and I actually am connecting with these songs sort of like I've listened to the soundtrack at least four times over and, and I already have my favorites. So I wouldn't say the soundtracks um, better than the first one, but it's not particularly Mm. bad. I think Metro Boomin has, he's a, he's a great, um, producer just phenomenal producer like he's done several tracks that i would hope you would know of um so he's he's a big time producer and it it worries me because i think he might be doing the next one and and the reason my only gripe with it is that i feel like some of the songs feel a bit rushed and the reason they feel rushed is because he's doing like three different projects at the same time right now like he's just done his solo album Right. I think he's doing a collaboration album with, I want to say, Jid or Future. And then he's just done this one as well. So he's got so many projects going on at the same time mm. that it feels yeah. a bit rushed and you don't have <laughs> your standout tracks. Yeah. Um, but it's also a shame because I would have loved to see some returning faces on the soundtrack. Like you have XXX Tentacion on the first one, um, yeah, Juice World. <laughs> He couldn't have returned. <laughs> Unfortunately not, right? Like they, they, those people have passed away and they're phenomenal artists. Post Malone could have come back though. Post Malone could have come back. Great. Yeah. Um, you did, but you do have returning faces. Like you've got um, Lil Wayne who returns. Um, I think you have Denzel returns. Uh, yeah. Sway Lee returns, I think as well. So there's oh, yeah. people that return, but so, you've also got yeah. new recognizable people in the industry. Mm. Um Later on, when we talk about, um, you know, the Spotify playlist, we'll get into which yeah. ones we're going to add and whether you have any um, points on that. Yeah, you... I mean, 
Yeah, I, I'm not too familiar with the score as of yet. I will listen to it eventually, but mm-hmm. but yeah, I'm I'm a huge fan of the first film's score, like all yep. of the songs. Um, yep. So yeah, high standards. Cool. So um, a common misconception that I've seen amongst some fans, um, amongst this, you know, the Spider-Man community and just the movie watching community, film nerds, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Um, is that, you know, they're coming out of this film and saying, well, you know, it's it was a part one, so, you know, we're not going to see everything in this film because, you know, there's been a common criticism amongst reviewers mm. um, that similar to how people treated June, um, they said, well, you know, it was a great film, but... I felt like it just ended and now I have to wait to see what the next part's going to be before I can decide whether this is a good movie or not. Yep. So people are coming out of this one because obviously June was a part one, part two affair. Everyone knew that, you know, we were getting the first half of the book in the first movie and then hopefully we get the second part. And in, for this film, they, when they first announced this, they said, okay, we're doing, part one and part two so you know we did into the spider-verse now we're going to do another one it's going to be part one then we're going to finish it off with part two Mm -hmm. then they went you know radio silent for a few months and they came back and they said okay so you know how we're doing the part one part two it's called spider-man across the spider-verse and spider-man beyond the spider-verse so they took out the whole part one part two thing but it's still a part one, part two affair, isn't it? Like, yeah. it's so, so I guess the point for discussion is, can we treat it as if it's a part one film, if it's not called part one, if you know what I mean? Like, mm. can we give it the benefit of the, of the doubt and say, you know, there's some really interesting things in this film um, but we haven't seen the resolution of those because this is a part one, part two movie because they didn't actually call it part one. So it's a Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse. That sounds like just your regular old sequel movie, but it's not because it, there are a lot of cliffhangers. There are a lot of loose threads that aren't resolved. There's probably some... Um, you know some some narrating that you know some there's probably some things we've been told by certain characters that are probably not true yeah probably going to be twists to come you know so this isn't a uh, cohesive affair it's not like a joker film or you know a batman begins or and then a dark knight film you know they're separate but slightly connected this is um a part one part two affair but it's not in the title so what do you think um, I sort of err on the side of, I like movies just having their own title. I don't like movies that have part one or part two in them. And I think that comes from the fact that, um, movies were originally created as individual affairs where they sort of wrap up their story in a two hour runtime. Right. Right. Yes. Um, okay. So, so this film doesn't do that doesn't wrap up the story in its runtime so can we hold that against it 
because it's not called part one. I I would prefer it to have the title it has now, to be mm. honest. I I don't... It, it's hard, man, because like, if you were to include part one in it, you end up with like messes like the Lego movie two part two or whatever the hell was going on there. Yeah. Um, that might be point. the worst title I've ever seen. Yeah. So bad. it's called Lego, the Lego movie part two, the second part. It's, um, what? Like but, who named that? But let's not forget birds of prey and the emancipation of one Harley Quinn was also a title of a movie. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, we got to reserve the worst title movie spot for that film. Wait, you just said the emancipate. Wait, what? You said yeah. Birdman, the emancipation of Harley oh, Quinn. I said Birdman. <laughs> they, of both of those movies have really bad titles. Is that what you're saying? No, no. So, so you know the Harley Quinn movie that came out in like 2019 and bombed? Yeah, called, yeah. I know that's got a bad title. I think it's... Okay, so I think it's called Harley Quinn. Oh, no. It's called Birds of... It was first called Birds of Prey and the Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. Queen, I think mm. I'm like 70% sure that's what it was first called and that was their title they ran with it for a while and they realized that they were going to make like four dollars at the box office so then they changed it to like the birds of prey and harley quinn yeah yeah and then they just changed it to birds of prey but birdman also I, has a really stupid title as well well so I, think... I just I, yeah, that's a stupid movie i don't like that yeah. <laughs> Unnecessary. <laughs> Birdman caught a stray bullet, bro. <laughs> um. <laughs> anyway, so 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 my point is, so when you look at this film, like yeah. when you're trying to review it as a film, what how 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 do you sort of how do you go about reviewing it? Yeah, because it's not. It's you not have to conclusive. review it on its own. Yeah, but you can't but you can't because there are emotional components in this film that the film gives time to set up but we don't get the payoff like we do in normal movies where you get the you get the setup you get the payoff you get the credits whereas in this you get the setup you get a few payoffs but not all of them and then mm. the credits well it's just like the avengers infinity war endgame scenario i would have hated for that to be called infinity war part one and part two mm. like that, that just sounds stupid so yeah, to answer your question, I would much rather have it as what it is now rather than yeah, yeah, yeah. across yeah, the spider I mean, part one, part I, two. Yeah, I just think it's an interesting, interesting discussion because a lot of the you know, reviewers have been talking about that. Mm. Something else, they've, they're have they like a broken record, some of these guys. <laughs> but you know, whenever there's a movie that's over two hours long, mm. just like take the runtime of the movie and minus it by two hours... And they'll say it's, well, you know, this movie's about 43 minutes too long. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, if the hours, if the runtime is two hours and 20, mo uh, 20 minutes, which it is for this film, they'll say, well, you know, it's a great film, but I just feel like it was, you know, 20 minutes too long. And then, you know, of course, if you ask them, okay, well. What would you cut out? Yeah, what twenty <laughs> minutes are you cutting out? They say, "Oh, um, you know, um, anyway, like and minutes. subscribe." Yeah. <laughs> Just brush it off. What do you What do you think of the runtime? Oh no, I enjoyed it. I thought it was fine. You know, like it's a lot shorter than some other movies we've been getting, like you know, the Batman and stuff like that. Mm. Um, I think it utilized its runtime well. I yep. think 
I think what's happened here is that Sony have gone, oh, we've got a gold mine here in Into the Spider-Verse. That film was excellent. Now let's make some bank on it and do another one. And then once we finish that movie, we're just going to split it up and make it into two and mm-hmm. pat it out a bit. So I think there are elements in this film that have been elongated in order to justify, you know, to sort of fill the runtime up, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, I'll talk about those when we get into spoiler territory, but I mm-hmm. do feel like there are a few scenes in this film that could have been tightened up a bit. Um, so yeah, it'd be interesting to talk about those. Yeah. But um, yeah, I think the runtime's fine. You know, it's two hours and 20 minutes, you know, we'll sit down and watch Law of the Rings for four hours and, and by the time Try it finishes, nine hours, right? <laughs> yeah, well, by by the time it finishes, you're like, oh man, is there another? Is there like a extended edition of the extended yeah. edition? Yeah, like 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 if it's good, my policy when it comes to runtime is if you're going to make a three hour movie, if it's a great three hours, and I couldn't care less how long it is, yeah. but if you make a, you know, if you make a an, a movie that's ninety minutes long and it's garbage like um the second venom movie then i think the movie is terrible um you know it's it's not terrible i think venom 2 worked so well because it was like really short is that what you're saying or (laughs) are you you saying the opposite (laughs) no but that movie was bad man it was a horrendous movie but it only went for like an hour and something which made it kind of good Like, if it had gone any longer, then I would have been, oh, God, this is still yeah, going on. But, you know, if you were going to try and rescue that movie, like, if if you were going to have to, if you are going to take a decent attempt at a Venom movie, like they did the first time, and obviously mm. they failed, but it still took them, like, two hours and two hours and something to yeah. do the first one. And then the second one is just, like, substantially reduced and then also worse in quality it's like <laughs> hang on a second <laughs> you know so one I, hour 37 I, is what it is so, so it's like I, really I'm, short yeah i guess what i'm trying to say is like i'm not the type of person that's like i don't have like a perfect vision in my mind about what the, how long a movie should be you know yeah, yeah like like i'm not i don't want the new june film the part two to be two hours i want it to be however long the god the cinematic god of Danny V wants it to be, you know, if he wants to yeah. make it seven hours, then I'll be wait, 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 seven hold, hours. Hold up. <laughs> but then it's got to be some cutoff, but, man. Like. I guess then at the same time, if he was going to say, oh, guys, I finished the June part two movie. It's, it's, uh, it's 50 minutes. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I don't worry, Warner Bros. You're going to be very happy with me because you know how you fired Snyder for making movies that are two hours and 30, 30 minutes long. Mm. I made it 35 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually an interesting conversation to have. Like, can movies be made in like a 50 minute runtime? Like, would that be successful? I don't know. Yeah, um, I, but that's a, yeah. that's a, you know, conversation for another day. <laughs> um, uh, so what, what do you I, want to talk about in terms of the budget? I'll just quickly say what I can say is I feel like the the pacing wasn't as good as the first one. The first mm-hmm. one, like we were saying before, just that's because I think by. they elongated. It. I think they I yeah. think they padded it out. Yeah, um, yeah. The second one obviously is quite substantially longer, but I don't have any issues with that really. Um, yeah, I still yeah. feel I think, like it I was think they padded complete. out 
the, the, the first third of the film. I think they padded that out a bit. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just thinking about, you know, the first scene, you know, just the first couple of scenes, you know, I won't say the details about them, but yep. um, as soon as we get into, as soon as we find out more about what this film's really about, then it goes along very quickly. It's very briskly paced. Yep. Um, but yeah, there's, it, it takes a bit of time to get to that stage. Let's talk about the budget. Um, fun fact, first one, 90 million. What do you think the second one is? Oh, I saw it was 100. Yeah. So that's pretty good, right? Okay. Like, But so what, what did the first one do in terms of box office? Because I think it wasn't that big of a hit, but it may have still made some nice profit considering that's a $90 million budget is very low if you can compare it to something like Spider-Man Homecoming, which would be 200 million. 384 million is what the first one made. Okay, so that made they probably made 150 million dollars profit. Yeah. Not, so not I bad. mean not shabby that, at all. That's not terrible. <laughs> yeah. Um across the Spider-Verse so far has made 209 million, which is wow, wow, that's big. Yeah, ridiculous. That's big. Um so it's it's already breaking records. I think it's the highest That's... opening movie of this year so far. Wow. Suck on that MCU. <laughs> um... Well, I mean, this is somewhat in that realm. So can nah, we really because, say that? No, nah, this is good. So it's not really in the MCU realm. Yeah, and, I, and I hope they keep it separate um, for the love of God. <laughs> Just in the interest of time, I think we should probably move on to spoiler territory. Um, would you agree? I would agree, Your Honor. Okay. Ron, <laughs> what? I said, Your Honor. Oh, I thought you said Ron. I was like, Harry Potter, what? Um, okay, so if you haven't seen the movie, obviously proceed at your own risk. We have yep. warned you. Spoiler territory is commencing now. <laughs> <laughs> we have liftoff into spoiler territory. Um, so the first note that I have jotted down here is family dynamic and that just makes me think of Dominic Toretto. Um, But what I mean by that is what did you think of Miles um, or even Gwen's relationship with their, you know, family? How how did that work for you in the movie? Yeah. I think that's one of the most important parts of this film. Um, And then also um, the first film as well. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, the family dynamic is, is the Spider-Man core. It's the core of these films. Yep. So it's really important that they nail that. And um, they did. I think, you know, they gave it enough time, perhaps maybe too much time for Miles mm-hmm. um, and maybe for Gwen as well. They um, perhaps spent more time than they really needed to to hit those emotional beats. But um, I would you know, say that they're the core of the movie. Uh, I would much rather them spend too much time on you know, the actual character building and yep. those family relationships um, than too little, which we've seen a lot yep. of um, in other films. So I think they've got a, a very wise sort of policy in how they deal with that. I think we spoke about um, in the first film, Miles's dad and his mum are, you know, very good characters. And I said um, that I hope that they continue to stay alive and... <laughs> We don't know whether that's going to happen in the second one, but they made it through this one okay, as far as we know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I uh, 
I'm glad they don't know that he's Spider-Man yet and we still get a bit of that sort of, oh, you know, what if they find out he's Spider-Man and we get the whole Miles is balancing his uh, responsibilities as Spider-Man and then, you know, his family and his friends on the other hand. Mm. And um, so that's classic Spider-Man stuff and, you know, they really nailed it, which they should yep. at this stage because we've done it so many times. Yeah, I really, it at the same time though, it didn't really feel like they were just doing it all over again, you know, like, right. and, and yeah. I, I felt like it was refreshing. I really, mm. really liked the dynamic between um, Miles's mum, Rio and um, Miles. And I also really liked the relationship between Gwen and her um, father, Captain Stacy. I thought that was handled really well as well. Mm. Yeah. Captain Stacy's a good character. I, you know, like him very much. Um, and that, yeah, that, that, that opening scene with Gwen is very strong. You know, they essentially just do the movie essentially just opens with about 15 minutes worth of Gwen mm. and it's just essentially her, her origin story, which, you know, I don't think they really needed to tell us because they told us in the first film, um, mm. you know, about how she had Peter Parker was her friend, and, you know, then he died and it's like, that's all we really need to know. You know, yeah. we know that she's a loner. But then, you know, in that first film, she obviously goes through that arc. She doesn't want, she, she starts off being a loner and she rejects sort of, you know, Miles's friendship and the spider people's friendship. And then at the end of the film, you know, they're all happy. They come together as a team and, you know, they're all friends. So we get that. And I felt like they sort of retrod those, um, those sort of emotional beats for the sake of people who perhaps didn't see the first film, mm -hmm. um, you know, like, I do you feel like maybe we repeated some events and there was a bit of, oh, remember what happened last time? Um, I don't feel that as much as I feel like they brushed over um, what was a pretty big event for Gwen really, really quickly. And they kind of undermined um, the whole scenario. Like, if, if you think back to... Gwen Stacy's death in Tazm Two. Spoiler warning. <laughs> um, no. Or or um, any other significant character that's died in Spider Man's life outside of these animated movies, it's always given a lot of weight. Mm -hmm. But they really just brushed over Peter yeah, Parker's they really just death. killed Peter Parker immediately. Like, yeah, in a very lame way as well. Like, yeah, it's not, that's what it's I'm saying. A, and, like, and and. Yeah, maybe that's my issue is that, you know, if they if they just didn't tell it to us again, we could have just, as the audience, assumed you know, knowledge. Yeah, and just, mm. you know, assume that, you know, I'm going to assume that Peter Parker is a heroic guy because he always has been. And, like, if you want to stay true to the character, he always will be. Like, yep. that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. He's the main guy. He is a good person. He goes through challenges and he overcomes them. That's why we love him, right? Mm -hmm. But to have him just drink some green stuff and then go fight the lizard, or does he become the lizard? No, he becomes the lizard. Yeah, so, so yeah. he drinks the green stuff, becomes a lizard because he wants to be like his best friend, Gwen. And it just seems all very beta male, um, absolute idiot. And then he, just, then he just dies. And it's not like he's dying to save the city or something or to save Gwen or whatever. He just gets a building like thrown at him or something. Uh, yeah, no, Gwen throws 
like a building at him so gwen like kills him and that sort of sets up the whole whole dynamic with um captain stacy so in a way you could view it as like um it was a necessary thing to introduce mm-hmm. into the story yeah, yeah um but if they were going to do it i would have liked them to handle it a bit yeah i've done it yeah do it a bit differently than you yeah. know, him becoming the lizard. Like, why does he have to become the lizard? Why can't you just do a quick montage of him maybe getting Spider-Man powers yeah. and then maybe you involve the Venom symbiote or something? You know, because I just I just don't like how Peter Parker, no matter what version he is, is just this like, oh, I want to be like my best friend Gwen, you know, so I'm just going to drink this green stuff and be incredibly irresponsible and put everyone at danger and then i'm gonna die mm. it's you know it just doesn't sit right with me as yeah a, it's just a bit weird yeah. yeah um let's talk about the cameos in this movie obviously going into this everyone was expecting um some familiar faces to return and and i think that's just because the title is a pretty dead giveaway of what was going to happen right (laughs) so um let's kick it off with andrew and toby obviously they appeared in this um film by way of archive footage what did you think of that yeah man i'm just um i'm I'm glad that i didn't see something about this in before i saw the film because then i might have thought that andrew was like actually in the film Mm -hmm. um acting um, which, you know, if I was a betting man, I'd say that might happen in the next one. Uh, we can theorize about that a bit later. But, yep. um, look, always always good to see, you know, the best Spider-Man, <laughs> Andrew Garfield, in his glory. Um, yeah. But, you know, we did have No Way Home, and to just see a bit of archival footage, like, it would have made me go nuts, like, if this was 2018. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but um, we in the in the post No Way Home era, um, yeah, it's always cool to see them, and I'm glad that Sony are honouring them by mm-hmm. showing that sort of footage instead of just showing something else, you know, some other Easter egg, which you know they did a lot of as well. There's a lot of different Easter eggs in this film. Yep, I can say this. Um, after watching No Way Home, I was sort of in a mindset where I was like, I don't think Sony's going to continue. Um, these prior spider-man stories like i don't think there's going to be a spider-man 4 i don't think there's going to be a tasm 3 but man like they've they've shown them so much now that it it just seems like anything's possible like Mm -hmm. this movie has just opened a crazy realm of possibilities that yeah i mean it is entirely possible that they come into the next film and 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 there's a fan base still there man like especially for um oh they'll make a billion they'll make a billion dollars again (laughs) yeah yeah so i mean you can time this time they won't have to pay marvel you know because this time it's not associated with well it's a sony property isn't it well yeah and and that's why i think tom holland's not in it because they would have needed to have um I, well, you know, no one knows sort of the legal deal that's been, you know, completed between Marvel and Sony with regards to how to make a Spider-Man movie with Tom Holland that's in the MCU, but it's a Sony movie. Um, no one knows the ins and outs of that agreement. But yeah. the fact that they can just throw Andrew Garfield in here and throw Tobey Maguire in there and it's no problem, 
they can throw PS4 Spider-Man in there, and but there's no Tom Holland. You know, they can throw the lady from Venom in there, but they can't throw Tom Holland in there. Mm. It does make me think, like, they'd be stupid not to just get Andrew and Toby again. Mm. Um, and, you know, maybe Tom Hardy is Venom. You know, here we go again with the theories, but... Yeah. But, yeah. Um, so many possibilities, man. Like, it's... Yeah. It's just crazy. And I, and I would have liked for them to keep this animation Spider-Man universe sort of separate from the main one, to be honest. Um, because I feel like if sometimes we just get too bogged down on cameos and such, and that sort of takes away from the actual weight of the story. Yeah, I completely agree. And that's what agree. happened with No Way Home. Um, like, it's not actually a good movie it's just a good movie well because the last th- the last third of it is um as soon as aunt may dies in no way home it becomes a good movie yeah um but if you, if you take andrew and toby out of it it's a significantly worse movie like yeah yeah but i i still like you know the spider-man um you know he goes through hardship and there's the great power with great responsibility line and he has to fight goblin and he hates him but he has to getting control of his rage and he doesn't kill him in the end like all that stuff's very spider-man mm. but let's not forget that the first 40 minutes of it is little tom holland running around trying to brainwash the universe because he can't get into college yeah and it's just gray green screen nonsense despite the fact that they're just walking down the street yeah so you know anyway <laughs> yeah well there's issues with that that we've talked about previously but that's a sig- that, that's a, a minute long review of no way <laughs> yeah wait did we do a- i think we did a podcast on it yeah yeah, 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 we we did. Did. yeah we did. um we liked it but we also don't like it um that's essentially the, what we thought of it um ps4 spider-man also made an appearance what do you think of that oh I, I love ps4 spider-man you know that game is just just so beautiful um Really they hit his Spider-Man. face. Yeah, of course they did. <laughs> yeah, they, they don't want us to talk about the fact that they they literally face-swapped him. Um, such a stupid decision. But anyway, mm. they, they got the voice in there, so that was cool. You get to hear the uh, Yuri Lowenthal, I think his name is. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a great voice actor for the Spider-Man character. And yeah, he's sort of just in there. Um one of the uh, Spider-Man's Asian, I mean, Miles Morales' uh, Asian roommate um, is playing the Spider-Man game as well. Mm. Um, so that's interesting because it shows that, like, in Miles Morales' universe, there is also the Spider-Man game. Yeah. And, but in the multiverse, that Spider-Man is there. So, yeah, yeah cool. Very cool. Uh, you know, I liked all the cameos, but the thing is, is that this film is actually a good story um, if you take all the cameos out. Um, yeah. Just putting the cameos in there is just really, really fun. And and I wouldn't consider all of the cameos to be all of the people in the Spider Society. What I would consider cameos are Toby, Andrew, you know, all of these properties that have appeared outside of... Um, these two movies that's what i would consider mm. cameos right. so no one in the spider society really um that's just like a whole another topic that we can talk about mm. um donald glover also made an appearance which kind of surprised me in the movie i didn't see that coming 
Yeah, um, me neither. Obviously, he plays um, Uncle Aaron in Spider-Man Homecoming. Yeah. And that was a thread that the MCU just completely forgot about. Yeah. Um, just like they did with Scorpion at the end of Spider-Man Homecoming. I don't think um, they forgot about it. I just don't think they had the rights to really proceed with that further. Well, they're, so, they're Sony movies, so they certainly could have, but um, they just, you know, they didn't Far From Home, and then they had to do No Way Home, so. Mm. Yeah, but um, yeah. he also appears as, like, a, a prowler in this movie. Mm. Um, so, so it makes me think it's not the... Well, MCU. Uncle Aaron is prowler. Yeah, I know, but but I just think it would be... Time's passed since those two movies. Yeah, so it could be the MCU Prowler, but... Who knows? I don't know. You know, in, I mean, there's no script for the next Spider-Man movie yet, so <laughs> nobody really knows. Um, unfortunately, we just know that Zendaya's in it, so it's going to be bad. No. But The reason I think they included Donald Glover in this is just sort of a... It's just a reminder to Marvel, be like, hey, remember? <laughs> well, well, I don't think it's even that. I think it's a nod to the origins of Miles Morales, because if you don't know the story, I'm about to drop some trivia on you. Okay, go. Um, Donald oh, Glover... Donald Glover created him, right? He, or he was well, like he, the first... He was the inspiration for right. Miles Morales. So Donald Glover was sort of like campaigning for a black Spider-Man. And, um, and he appeared on the community show, uh, the TV show Community, um, in a um, Spider-Man costume, which you can actually see in the first Into the Spider-Verse movie on yeah, Uncle yeah, Aaron's I TV. Remember, I remember you saying that, yeah. So, um, and then um, that got like the people at Marvel sort of thinking, what if we made a black Spider-Man? So in a way, um, Donald Glover was, you know, he was the reason that Miles Miller's was created and sort of kick-started that. Yeah. Um, so I think it was just sort of like a thank you to um, the origins of Miles Morales putting them putting donald glover in this movie that's sort of the way i look at it um because he is a very new character isn't he miles morales he was only introduced in 2011 so mm. it's um it is interesting to to remind ourselves of that because he's obviously quickly he's already a household name like yeah he's ri he's risen to prominence because of into the spider-verse and then obviously we recently had the the um game the miles morales game yeah mm. yeah yeah um we also got some appearances from cartoon versions of <laughs> Spider-Man. Um, so you oh, have the Lego Spider-Man. We've got to talk about the Lego Spider-Man. Oh, let's, let's, okay, let's start off with the Lego Spider-Man. Um, obviously, there's a connection there between Phil Lord and Chris Miller doing work on the Lego movie mm -hmm. and also working on this. Um, but I think it's also cool that they had J. Jonah, J. Jonah Jameson yeah, come back to voice. That's great. Yeah. Um, Oh, sorry, J.K. Simmons coming back to voice yeah. J. Jonah Jameson. I mean, he is J. Jonah Jameson. So like, he just so. plays him in every universe, which I find really funny. Like, he's the... Yeah, except no one's Spider-Man game, I think. He is in, or isn't? In, I don't... Because I think in the in the game, I don't think it's him. No, I think, I think he is in the game. Oh, really? Because, you know, all those podcasts you listen to, I, I, I sincerely doubt that... J, um, that J.K. Simmons would would record all the lines for the PS4 video game. Um, I don't think he did. 
but yeah, I do, I do like how, like what you just said, like he is a constant in the Spider-Man canon. Like I really yeah. like that. Yeah. Because, you know, they didn't show him in Tasm. Um, so it still works, right? Like it's still, it can still be J.K. Simmons in yeah. canon yeah. in yeah. the Tasm universe. So like it, they just got the casting right the first time with him and then. Oh, he's so good in those movies, man. Yeah. He's so, yeah. every scene, he just absolutely steals it. And then so, they've probably just thought since then, he why, why just, change it? Yeah, he just deserves to like do these the same character, just like early retirement, just continue play J. Jonah Jameson for like the rest of his life. Well, and it's just sort make, of like, like Kevin millions. Conroy. Like yeah, how Kevin yeah. Conroy just voiced Batman across pretty yeah. much all media. Mm. Um, yeah, rest in peace. What a legend. Yeah, what a legend. Um, yeah, so we had appearances from lego spider-man which i thought was so cool man when he went right, into like, the, the bathroom and he's like beep, boop, beep, boop. <laughs> and then he's like yeah. you're one of our best peter <laughs> yeah i just love that i love how the lego guy is one of their best spider-man yeah, yeah. But what yeah. i want to know what i want to know is when the lego guy travels to um spider-man 2099's universe how tall is he like, is he actually minifigure size? No, or... he actually makes an appearance. This is what I was just going to say. He makes an appearance in the Spider Society. Oh, um, does Because I was watching, like, a YouTube video where they show all of, like, the, you know, Easter eggs and such. Oh, of course. Yeah. You know where... Um, red circles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know when um Peter Parked Car pulls into the Spider oh, Society? Yes. <laughs> yeah, that was he, a great appears, he appears on, like, the windshield, and he's, like, Lego scale, so... Oh, he's tiny. Yeah, you would miss oh him my... if you didn't know. Oh, that's, my God. Yeah, like a really <laughs> so, cool detail. So how is he one of the best Spider-Man if he's oh, that small? I don't who know. knows, bro? <laughs> Maybe Spider-Man 2099 is just, like, lying to him. Yeah. Maybe, like, Lego Spider-Man has, like, some serious self-esteem issues. And he just needs to be reminded that, you know, he's one of the best. But <laughs> it's, just, not. it's just, like, a really cool concept to think that, like, there's a whole universe out there just dedicated to Lego where Spider-Man's like Lego Spider-Man's going through his own hardship and, you yeah, know, and he's defeating just like all of character. his sinister six villains. And, yeah. and that's happening on an infinite number of universes where every single Spider-Man is doing that. Mm. Um, man, it just makes me so excited talking about this. I sound like an absolute nerd, but <laughs> who cares? Um, so let, let's get into ultimate spider-man spectacular spider-man make appearances you mentioned in the when we were watching the movie or just after watching the movie that there's like a hardcore fan base for those oh man they love that show man they mm. I've, I've been trying to i think it's on disney plus actually i i was trying to track it down a couple of years ago um because i just you know all of these sort of spider-man fan accounts i guess you could call them they they absolutely love this show they swear by it you know, because obviously the old cartoon show is very popular. You know, the one with um, where they first did the pointing thing. Yeah. Um, I think he also made an appearance. Is that? Um, yeah, he did. I, I forget, like, the actual title of that. I think cartoon. it's just called Spider-Man. Yeah. Um, yeah. But anyway, so that one's like the really old one. But then this is a relatively recent one, Spectacular Spider-Man. This, I think it was maybe like during the TASM era. Mm. You can see that like the Peter Parker in that show is very similar to Andrew Garfield. Mm. Um, and and the, But these fans are just crazy for it. So as soon as they saw him in the poster, they were like, oh my gosh, they went nuts. Yeah. But um, 
he actually has a couple lines in yeah. this shot in 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 the film. So they'd be really happy with that. Um, so I'm happy for them, but honestly, I I haven't seen the um the show, so I don't really. You know, it doesn't do anything for me, but it's cool for them. You know, I, I you know I like when all those different fandoms get to sort of come together and be like, oh, you know, like that's my favorite mm. Spider Man or whatever, because obviously that's how I was watching No Way Home, seeing Andrew Garfield jump through the portal. I yeah. was like, oh my gosh, that's my favorite Spider Man, and everyone's like, well, really? Um, yeah. And so yeah. now you know it's it's cool to see. Um, appreciation for every single fandom right like, yeah yeah because even if a show is like not particularly well received or it's not like it doesn't like set the world on fire like there's a core audience for everything you know mm. there's there's someone that like jumped out of their chair as soon as they went to the venom universe you know just because and i'm talking like you know a, an eight-year-old kid or whatever because just because he just likes venom you know kids yeah. just like certain things you know so yeah so i like it well, I, I can speak from experience when I say I got like really excited when I saw Spider-Man Noir at the end of the movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So obviously they didn't want to pay Nicolas Cage for this one. Um, but yeah. They'll, they'll, he'll be in the second one. He'll uh, be the in next the next one, one yeah, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's talk about the Spider Society. So I've just sort of jotted down some of my favorite ones that I could just remember off the top of my head. Um, there were so many, man. Like you'd have to watch it. 10 times over to like catch everything mm. and even still i mean you'd probably miss more but there is a ridiculous number of peter parker's spider-man spider-woman in this movie um some of my favorites peter parked car but it was pretty funny <laughs> that one's funny i mean yeah. the humor in this movie is excellent. excellent yeah really good there was a, a t-rex peter parker yeah, or spider-man yeah. um, oh no oh god and and a horse spider-man which i thought the uh that whole concept was actually pretty cool like the the guy on the horse is like some old western um gun yeah. slinger who yeah, i think his that... name's web slinger which is um pretty cool um and these are all comics man like all of these exist in the real world world where you can go out pick up a comic and read about this character which is just so cool like there's so much unexplored depth and story to be known mm. here and yeah yeah it just makes you want to read these comics um yeah it's just such a shame that like they're not very organized um mm. in terms of like you can't just pick up um like a spider 20 uh spider-man ben riley comic for 30 dollars on amazon like, yeah because they're all comic runs yeah so if you want to buy a comic run you have to buy like the omnibus um which is like four hundred dollars um and it's got like thousands and like combined sort of comic runs mm. um so i feel like you know dc comics like they have all of these really famous graphic novels like dark knight returns and the killing joke and kingdom come like all these stories that are like a singular stories whereas you know, i just i get very intimidated by marvel comics because you never really know where to start and what to read can't just sort of jump in for civil war mm. and sort of read that storyline and then jump out because there are just so many different things that you need to read before you read that yeah um so yeah but but i'm really i want to track down at least some spider-man 2099 stories and some mm. ben riley stories and um yeah i definitely want to explore more of that i haven't read it i've only read like the civil war marvel comic so i would like to read some of the 
the old Spider-Man stuff because it's the best-selling sort of comic character I think of all time. Mm. Um, so well, I was I was huge into like comics back in the day, man. Like I I read like so many issues of like the Avengers and mm. and X Men and yeah, like I just want to get back into it, man, because there's so much unexplored content there that. Mm. And like that would just provide really great context for the next movie. Um, mm, yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about the villain of the film, um, which there's a there's a few different villains here. Um, you sort of have like a quasi villain with um, Spider Man twenty ninety nine or Miguel, mm. um, and then you've also got Bagel Man slash the Spot um, <laughs> as the villain. What did you think of them? Yeah, so obviously Spot is presented as the main villain um, and you're introduced to Spider-Man 2099 thinking that this is going to be the leader of the Spider-Man team that's going to take down Spot. But then the more you get to know Spider-Man 2099, you see that you know he's very aggressive, he's very, um, he's very sort of authoritarian, um, he's, he's just, he's put himself on top. He is, um, he's not a very kind person. Yeah. Like he's, he's clearly just going to be the villain of the next film, um, along with spot, but they're not going to necessarily be on the same team. They have very competing interests. So it's, it's very interesting what they've done here. Um, because I think both of them are very interesting villains and they have completely different sort of motivations. You know, Spot is this character that just wants to um, destroy Spider-Man, uh, Miles Morales, and mm. kill everyone that he loves, um, which is, you know, always a beautiful thing. Um, we love that. Um, and he's um, just really sort of quirky, like, blob of goo, yeah. I guess. Um, and he has really funny moments. And then on the opposite side, you have like this really cool looking Spider-Man who's like, oh yeah, he looks so cool. Mm. And, but he's like, not a very good person. He's clearly going to be um, a bad guy. He's clearly lying about a few things because his motivation makes my, his motivation makes sense in my opinion in this movie because mm -hmm. he what we're told, which I suspect might be lies, but we're told that he tried to um, he tried to save somebody in his universe by essentially altering the timeline, mm -hmm. and well, it by was doing his daughter, yeah, so, yeah. So and then by doing so, he destroyed his entire universe. So his entire world yep. was destroyed, and so now. His solution is to ensure that um, all of these canon events that happen to all Spider-Men happen in every universe. Mm -hmm. So it's a bit different to, you know, what the TVA are doing in Loki and, yeah. you know, all these different other multiverse things we've been introduced to in the past. But I think his motivation if he's told us a true story about, you know, his daughter and everything, I completely understand why he's doing what he's doing and why he's doing it aggressively. And so I think that's a really interesting villain. And Miles Morales is in a tricky spot because if he decides to alter the timeline, he could destroy his whole universe. Yep. So 
that would well, be very multiple very universes yeah yeah exactly because that's the thing right spider-man 2099 is sort of saying if you do that and you destroy your world then you might destroy everyone else's as well you know mm. um, so yeah i think it's an excellent villain excellent yep. villain yeah yep. what are your thoughts you like him yeah um spider-man 2099 was really well done in this movie um to start with i think oscar isaac is a really really good decision um yeah fantastic actor um i'm glad that they got someone of um the correct um heritage isn't the right word to use here the correct uh like he he the character's origins are the same as the actor's origins. Right. Um, right. So, you know, it's, it makes it easy in terms of voice acting, mm. but you shouldn't have given that role to a white actor or, or a black actor. Like it has to be an actor that um, has that descent. So great decision yeah. there. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think the character's motives were um, really well done. I liked how, um, his universe was sort of like the hub of the spider society and how he's put together this secret force that, um, you know, protects these multiple universes or multiverse, you could call it. Um, but like you said, like he has really good motives. And I think that's what makes a good villain is when you can connect with their motives um, yeah. and, and you can in this movie, man, like you, you understand why he's doing what he does and you also yeah. understand why Miles is doing what he does. So the viewers kind of torn there as well as to which side they would or should sit on. Um, and I, and I think that's what makes a great villain, but in terms of the spot, I think he was also a really good villain as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like he was really said, creepy towards the end. As he well. was like, really creepy like, towards the end. It's incredible. Like he started out as like this bumbling, hilarious idiot, and then he turns into this like really, like when he was sort of fading around into his white sort of goo, and he was like just talking really sort of like psychotic, mm. in a psychotic way about like how he's going to kill everyone that Spider Man loves, and he's like drifting off and just really creepy vibes, man. I don't know what it is, but. Well, he sort of started. Design. He sort of started out as like the the spots, and then towards the end, he became like the spot. If you know what I mean, like mm. his character design also changed to where he was just like mm. one black spot. Um, right. But prior to that, he was like a Dalmatian, or they called him like a cow or whatever. So he went from like this yeah. joke character to like this really serious threat. Mm -hmm. um and and that sort of evolves throughout the movie and i think that they did a really good job in pacing that and um going between uh 2099 as the villain and the spot as the villain and i think they did a really good job of balancing that mm -hmm. um and yeah, i like perfect. that it sorry you go i was just gonna say like i think this film has the perfect balance of interjecting that really funny and effective humor Mm. But then also having those moments where you're like, damn, that villain is actually scary. Yeah. You know, that's, that's actually, I don't want to mess with this guy. He seems like he's out for blood. He seems like, you know, he, he may have been a funny, innocent guy at the start, but this guy is like really personally invested in mm. just destroying this man's life. Yeah. <laughs> like, so that's pretty scary. 
I'm, yeah. I'm keen to see what happens. Very, very keen to see what happens. Mm-hmm. And I'll just raise this now because I've seen this been popping up on social media a bit. There's been this um, sort of trend going around where everyone's picking up on this connection between everything, everywhere, all at once and um, across the Spider-Verse where they're both connected by bagels. Um, uh, so, yeah. so bagels have kind of become like the the universal or the multiversal um, image to to describe the multiverse which i think is really cool <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah that's um, interesting yeah. it's just an interesting connection and whether it was done on purpose who knows um and and i don't even know if they meant for the first film to have oh, that no, guy absolutely that, not they surely that. not right no like, they retcon that absolutely yeah. but that's a great retcon you know it's that's a fantastic retcon yeah that's just make a good example of how how uh, how witty the humor is and it's yeah. just like i said for the lego movie you know it's it's phil lord and christopher miller like that's this is what they're so good at mm. you know just making that bagel man and making him a villain you know they didn't need to make him the bagel man yeah but they did it could have just been some random guy <laughs> at alchemex yeah. Yeah. but yeah they made him the bagel guy and it works so much better yeah um yeah. <laughs> i'll just bring this up here before i get i think that because you know how certain movies try so hard to connect one movie to another without actually putting in the effort to do so Um, and setting that up prior to the next movie coming out. There have been things that have been set in place since Into the Spider-Verse that connect that movie to this movie and serious events. And I'm not just talking about post-credit scenes that drop that 2099 is going to be in the next movie. Like... Mm when I was sitting in the movie theater and I was thinking, I was like in the original movie in into the spider verse, when we see the spider that bites miles for the first time, the number 42 spider, that spider is glitching. So it actually shows that's that spider is in the incorrect universe. Yeah, that's true. Um, so from the very start, we've known that the spider that bit miles was in the incorrect universe which is Mm. just such like a cool just decision there like it shows that they have a plan that they're going somewhere Mm. and and i think that whole thing that they did in this movie with um that spider that read the dna and took them back to their correct universe it just worked so well for the plot and we'll talk about it later on when we get into the twist ending and whether that fooled you or whether it didn't fool you. But I can say right now, man, like I did not see that coming at all. Yeah. No, it was a great twist at the end. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I want to mention something about this spider society because they are obviously being led by Miguel, um, Mm -hmm. um, you know, Spider-Man 2099, who's clearly going to be the villain in the next film. And he's, well, he's, he's clearly the villain in this film as well. Like, you're not supposed to like him. That's pretty clear from about, you know, 10 minutes into being introduced to the character. Yeah. So there's this society that is determined to essentially kill Miles's dad, right? If his dad doesn't die naturally, they're going to go in and kill him, right? Because that's what they need to do to preserve the timeline. And that's pretty messed up. 
but you know you can see why they want to do that they want to save everyone it's the whole you know let's save everyone by actively killing one person mm. instead of just being like no let's try and save everyone even on the possibility that it might also kill everyone um, you know it's just the whole we're not going to trade lives sort of thing it's uh, captain america's philosophy in infinity war it's a very very common sort of trope yeah but so We've seen all of our fan favorite Spider-Man cameos, like, you know, PS4 Spider-Man and Spectacular Spider-Man, Ben Riley. They're all in support of Spider-Man 2099, right? Mm -hmm. So aren't they then going to become the villains of the movie because they're part of this sort of spider cult sort of thing? And isn't that going to damage their characters because... You're saying, well, they signed up to be Spider-Man 2099's, you know, comrades in this mission to ensure the the timelines don't explode. So if you're a fan of Spectacular Spider-Man and you're seeing him back up Spider-Man 2099, if I was a fan of Spectacular Spider-Man, I think I'd probably be quite offended. I, I'd be like, oh, no, he, he wouldn't do that. He would be on Miles's team. But in order to have some sort of conflict, we need a couple of Spider-Man to be bad guys, a couple of Spider-Man to be good guys. Like obviously, Gwen Stacy at the end is putting this, putting the team together mm. of you know Punk Spider-Man or Spider-Punk and you know um, Spider-Man Noir and the, the the rest of the gang from the last movie. So mm. that's going to be like the Spider-Man little Spider-Man Avengers team, and they're going to have to go up against Spider-Man Twenty Ninety Nine and his team. His- so. Here's what I think about it. I think we're going to see a significant change in Spider-Man 2099 in the next movie. Mm. I think, obviously, the spot's going to be the villain. I think they're going to lean two ways, and this is sort of going in towards our ending theories. Um, I think we're either going to see the spot come around, or I think we're going to see um, 2099 come around. I think either way all of the Spider-Men are going to abandon Spider-Man 2099. So I'm going to say see... too. I, I think that's, that's, that's definitely, they'll definitely abandon him at some stage, but how long were they in support of him? You know, that's still something that is a bit dodgy, right? Like, cause they signed up for this, knowing that that was his mission, unless he's kept them in the dark this whole time, which is, you know, could be a good explanation, you know, maybe Spider-Man 2099 saying, you know, we're here to protect everyone, guys. Like, this is a good... We're all trying to save everyone. We're the good guys. But then secretly, he's he knows that he actually has to do some bad things. Yeah, so, I don't know. You sort of see Gwen come around in the movie, and towards the yeah. end, you, you do understand that she is on in full support of Miles. I think, yeah, I think we're going to see that flood into the second or third movie, I should say, where there's more Spider-Man in support of Miles's cause. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think that's the change that we're going to see. But I know what you mean when you say that it sort of sheds or puts bad light on these Spider-Men for supporting a cause that isn't necessarily the best. Like, for um, instance, Spider-Woman, right? Mm. You know that she knows that she feels bad about what she's doing but she's doing it anyway yeah so doesn't that make her just a bad person 
you know, because because Gwen obviously turned back to, you know, the light side, I guess you could say. Um, but Spider-Woman is, is definitely on the dark side Ooh. and she knows that she's there and she ha- she clearly has hesitations, but she's still, she's still on that team, you know, she didn't leave. I don't think there's necessarily a light and dark side. I think it's just the gray and gray side. Like you could also argue what Miles doing is bad. Like he's putting the fate of the multiverse at risk for his family. Um, and it, it's sort of like the civil war debate where, mm-hmm. um, Iron Man's side is just as right as Captain America's side. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't think, and and that's what like we said, that's what makes Spider Man twenty ninety nine such a good villain is because his motives have some cause and it has some, um, you know, it, it the, there's a reason he's doing what he's doing. So yeah, yeah well, just yeah, I'm I'm only just looking out for those cameo Spider Mans in the background. You know, the spectacular Spider Man because. If I saw Andrew Garfield on Spider-Man 2099's side for one second after learning about what Spider-Man 2099 is about to do, I would be very offended, personally. Like, in terms of, I would say, hang on a second, my Spider-Man wouldn't do that. He's would a you good guy. Would you say that? No, absolutely. I would be like, he has to be. Because, look... It's like the Civil War thing, right? As you said, you can see both sides, but the movie's clearly telling you that, you know, Mars Morales is doing the right thing. You know, we all know that, you know, when you compare these two moral philosophies, you can definitely see how killing one person to save everyone is, you know, if you look at it from the outside in, it's a good thing to do, I guess. But you really should be trying to save everyone. Like that's that's definitely the thing you should be doing. And the movie's telling us that because that's what Miles Morales is doing. That's what Gwen's now doing because she's realized she was wrong. So, you know, I just, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting. Another thing is towards the end of the film, obviously we find out that uh, Miles Morales should never have been bitten by that spider, right? It wasn't supposed to be wasn't supposed to happen it wasn't a canon event i guess you could say mm. um so technically spider-man 2099 is gonna have to kill miles morales right or somehow get his spider powers removed uh i don't know I how that's were, gonna work clearly setting that up right because that's why he could never have joined the team that's why they were saying you know he could never have become one of the spider society because he is an anomaly. He's not supposed to be Spider-Man. He's supposed to just be Mars Morales, I guess. And that spider was supposed to bite someone in um, World 42, wherever the spider was from. But so, it still would have been... So, okay, so that number 42 spider was meant to bite Spider-Man in Ultimate Marvel's universe. Yes, yes, yeah, I think so. Yes, so so, so, so now Miles was never meant to become a Spider Man, yes. yeah, 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 and that's why he could never have been in the Spider Society because they know that in order to, like, you know, correct the timeline, he's got to go. But couldn't you also argue that it was fate that the 42 Spider went into well, that that's universe? Miles's argument, that's Miles's argument, exactly like that's him saying. I don't care what you say needs to happen 
I'm going to make my own way, which is a very sort of meta way of representing Miles Morales because, you know, when he first came into the comics, obviously people were like, well, hang on a second, you know, Peter Parker is Spider-Man, so what are you trying to tell me? Miles Mm. Morales is Spider-Man? No, um, Peter Parker is Spider-Man. And so he was sort of rejected for being Spider-Man, so it's kind of like a meta-commentary on that a bit. Um, but, But yeah, it was clearly said that the spider society would have to correct that mistake and i don't know what correct means but whether it's you know extracting the venom from mars morales and i don't know doing something with it or Mm. um or just killing mars morales i guess but um that's why gwen didn't go and visit mars morales and you know peter b parker didn't go visit mars morales and all those all those things so so spider-man 2099 is going to be hunting down miles to either you know stop him or kill him or something and then he's also going to be hunting down miles in order to prevent him from saving his father who is supposed to die according to spider-man 2099 so yeah so that's the setup for the next film what do you think is going to happen i mean there's so many alternate pathways that they could go towards Mm. i definitely think i don't see any reason as to why spot would turn good as of now Mm. um he's lost too much he's got yeah i'd have to think about it a bit more but i think spot's probably going to be the main villain i think there might be some sort of sacrifice from 2099 to save I think Gwen's gone I think Gwen's gonna die absolutely Gwen is done (laughs) you reckon yeah I'm surprised she didn't die in this movie to be honest I was getting ready for her to die when she was at the house with um Mm. with Miles's dad and his mum yeah towards the end of the film I thought she was gonna get killed by someone then Mm. but um no that's an interesting thing as well is that she could also be a sacrifice because she name dropped the whole thing where she was saying in every universe where miles or um gwen falls for miles or peter yeah he ends up dying but then again gwen uh miles morales isn't peter so technically they could be together right yeah i think it's spider-man so it's like spider-man and gwen but he's not spider-man yeah but she's not gwen stacy she's spider gwen you know like she is gwen stacy yeah, but she's not. She's. What do you mean? Her name's Gwen, Gwen Stacy. Yeah, yeah, but like. In but terms what I'm of, saying is, in that... terms of the canon, like it's not like the correct canon would be. Peter Parker is Spider Man. Gwen Stacy isn't also a Spider Woman, um, and then she dies. <laughs> you know, so. But... but I think there is potential that they could get together there because what oh, she said yeah. is that, in every in every universe where Gwen Stacy falls for Spider Man. Or was it was it Peter Parker or Spider Man? Spider Man. Spider Man. Yeah. Um, something goes wrong or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if if Miles isn't technically meant to be Spider Man, then wouldn't yeah, that kind of point. event yeah, be disrupted? Yeah, that's a good point. yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, and that's what we're going to see happen. Maybe that's the whole beyond the Spider Verse thing because we're going to be moving into unknown sort of reality. Mm. You know, we're going to end up shattering all these multiverses. Yeah. Um, and seeing what happens when things don't go to plan. Yeah. And I reckon that um, things could go very badly. 
And I reckon that at the end, it's either going to be a few people are going to die or it's going to be the sacrifice play where they have to shut off all of the multiverses in order to preserve everything. So mm. no more traveling. So they're going to have to like say goodbye to each other like Toy Story 3 style, you know. <laughs> Toy Story 3 style. <laughs> Damn, that was a sad ending. Um, yeah. And yeah. that's what I think might happen. But yeah, it's, it's interesting to speculate. I'm very, it, it's going to come out March 2024. So we don't have that long to wait. I think maybe we have to make a more detailed video on this so we can look back and say, haha, we got it right. But here's my like prediction. We did it no Way Home. We like predicted that whole movie, by the yeah. way. <laughs> we, we literally got all of the villains. We got did all we? of them in. Yeah. Well, except I think we also said that Dane DeHaan's Goblin could come in. Um, but a, apart from him, we, we like guessed right. everything. We got everything correct. And we, <laughs> we even, watch that video again. We even got like, you know, Andrew's coming back. So it's going to be interesting to see like how Gwen's death has affected him. Like maybe he's going to be a bit darker of a Spider-Man. But nailed it. Absolutely <laughs> nailed it. And this was like, this was like a year before the movie came out. Damn, bro. So that's how predictable that movie was. Anyway, um, let's wrap this. Let's wrap this thing up. Okay, let's just quickly touch on the main spider people, and I just want to chuck in Vulture here because I thought Vulture's design was so cool, man. Yeah, I agree. Um, he was like ripped out of like a um Leonardo da Vinci mm. scrapbook or something, man. Like just the artwork and the extent of the artwork that they went to in these movies with. Gwen's universe and um, alternate Miles's sort of more dark universe, yeah, um, and even like that um, universe that the spot sort of ducked his head into for like one second with all of the um, classic comic book, um, yeah, yeah, dots was really cool. So I think they absolutely nailed the artwork in this movie, man, and it's just such an improvement on the first film, like. Like you said, the first film sort of stayed within its own boundaries in that one artwork. Um, and then this movie just, you know, went full on just everything. So, yeah, they just nailed the artwork, I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, it looks it looks like a work of art because it so, is. You know. So just in the interest of time, I just want to ask you, who out of... Both movies, so one and two, who has been your favourite Spider-Man so far? Oh, goodness me. I think still it's got to be Peter B. Parker from the first film. Yep. Um, I, I didn't really like what they did with him in the second. Um, I think he should have left the baby at home definitely at the very end of the film, mm. um, especially when he has a very capable woman in the form of Mary Jane at home. Mm. Like It's not like she's not there. Voiced um, by Zoe Kravitz. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's bizarre. That is that is that is bizarre, isn't that it? That is like, a bizarre casting. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it's like if they can't get a, if they can't make her a black character, they'll get a black yeah. actress to play her. Yeah, that's so bizarre. Anyway, um, what is with the hate on the gingers, man? <laughs> yeah, it's a ginger side, man. <laughs> Nothing it's against that. Zoe Kravitz, but. We shouldn't be taking away roles from ginger actors. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, no, I really liked him. And then I think Spider-Man 2099 was really good in this. He was probably my favorite yeah. favorite character, I think. Um, 
obviously Gwen was really good again. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, what, what are your thoughts? Um, you know me, like I've always been a sucker for Spider-Man noir. And like at, at mm. the end when I saw him, bro, I was so happy. <laughs> um, but I think Spider-Punk was really awesome in this. Like his design was sick, man. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. he was ripped out of like some classic um, English, you know, um, yeah, like book or something. I don't know, like mm. tab- tabloid, like some- something like that. Yeah, yeah. Just like a magazine sort of thing, yeah. Just like heavy punk influence, like the Sex Pistols and just all of those bands that were so prominent, like the 90s in the UK. Um, There's actually a funny line that he says in the movie. He's like, I like the the AM and I hate the PM or something. He says something like that. And it's like, it's funny because it also reads as he hates the prime minister, um, which like the punk movement sort of, began mm. with the whole political conflict of them hating yeah. parliament and what they were doing so it's just a funny line that mm. you know it's yeah. more geared towards the older audience um but yeah artwork wise i really really liked um spider punk in this movie and even his character i thought was really cool um so i'm really excited to see him in the second movie but i mean spider-man noir is like a he's just a favorite of mine like he's so cool bro like yeah yeah. yeah yeah it's cool it's gonna be good to see him again next time um well I don't, we haven't prepared anything for the music segment so we'll let you add something in later you've been mm-hmm. listening to a few songs i know um, for sure hummingbird will go in there okay so cool cool that's so one of them. quickly um got a few minutes um what's your tier ranking um for this film i'll do final thoughts and then i'll do tier ranking so um oh, got one minute <laughs> one minute okay um really really liked the artwork like i said a huge improvement on the first i think the story could probably still do with some fine tuning um i think it was a hell of a lot better than the first one that's my main issue with the first one is mm-hmm. the story um mainly the villain so i think they improved on the villains big time in this one which is great um yeah kingpin was just a weak point of the last movie mm, yeah um was. i think the music could have been better um i think there's things that they exchange like there's better ones better points that they did in the first movie but there's also better points that they did in the second movie so honestly i would rank it about the same as the first one so i'm going to give it an a um but i do prefer the first movie and i've had some time Mm. to think about it i think the first movie is more streamlined it's more efficient it's less reliant on cameos and um people jumping out of their seats and pointing at the screen i think the first story is just a really really solid compact origin story um which is always a blast to watch um only time will tell how well this movie stands um in five years time Right, so an, an A rating gets the same as the previous one. So you think that they're comparable, same level of quality on the first and the second? Same level of quality, but I prefer the first one. It has a slight edge. Right, right. And you think that the third one could even could take it beyond those, those rankings? Or you know, are you hopeful? Or do you just think the same quality would be great? um 
I would like it to be better. I don't think it's possible, but from what we've seen, it definitely could be. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting to see as well, like how this film holds up over time, because the first ones held up really well so far. Um, I would still give it. I don't know if we gave it. Did we give it just A's last time? I think we did. Um, we, yeah, we didn't get. Maybe we were a bit. Oh, okay. So we didn't have the variants, right? Okay, so because I think I'd be very, very close to giving the first one an A plus. Um, yeah, it'd be hard to find a reason not to give it an A plus. If you know what I mean? Trust me, I've I've watched the first movie plenty of times and I've wanted to give it an A plus five star rating so many times but Kingpin's motives always hold me back unfortunately mm-hmm. yeah mm. that is true and I feel like the same issue applies here because um, we don't have the full extent of the villain's motives yet right so I do think that the third one might be better than this one. Um, But it's hard to compare because that first one is a really tight origin story and does its job very, very well. Some incredible sequences in that film. So I think for me, uh, let's give the Into the Spider-Verse a hypothetical A. I want to give this one an A-. minus. Just stick it behind because I do think it's not as good as the first one. Um, I think this film does what every sequel should do, and that being, you know, to respect the original film, take those plot lines and build on it, expand the world, which this film certainly does. Um, But because, you know, this film has some loose threads and I feel like some of the family scenes um, dragged at times, like we were covering a lot of ground again and again, um, I feel like it wasn't as tight as that first film, but it's very minor nitpicks sort of thing. You know, it's not like they stuffed it up. You know, they did a great job. Fantastic job. Um, for me, I'm, I'm going to have to watch it again a few times, obviously, but I'm, I'm going to keep it on the A- minus for now, just to be safe. Do you think it could go up? Absolutely, absolutely. And I think it could go up retrospectively as well. So I think if the next film comes out and it has really interesting, um, you know, story behind the spot and behind Spider-Man 2099, then this film's going to be really, really good because it's going to be cool to get that set up for then the payoff. Um, But at the moment, we're just left with the setup, the setup, which is fine, you know, um, but in this, in the way that June part one was a great movie and also set up for the next movie, I feel like this wasn't as good of a movie on its own, if you know what I mean, you know, so yeah, but yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, I'll have to listen to the music a bit more. Um, yeah, and just enjoy it a few more times, but I'm looking forward. I'll have to save the date for when the 4k comes out because i'll be buying that very quickly yep um well that sort of brings us to a close on the episode um thank you for listening um if you would like to follow us on instagram you can do so at the rewatch pod um and if you'd like to subscribe to our youtube channel just search the rewatch on youtube 
Obviously, we have a Spotify playlist, um, which you can find just by searching the Rewatch playlist. Um, what are we doing for our next episode, Sam? That's a good question. We might. I think be... you had some. Yeah, what were you going to say? <laughs> we um, will be heading to the cinema again soon um, because obviously we have the highly anticipated uh, film, No Hard Feelings. <laughs> And then we also had The Flash with Convicted Criminal Ezra Miller, which we have to do a podcast on because yep. somebody somebody needs to hold this film accountable for its crimes, <laughs> and both in the visual effects department and on the beaches of Hawaii. Oh my God. <laughs> and, so and in Walmart. It's, it's our job. When the mainstream media don't hold convicted criminal Ezra Miller to account you can rely on the rewatch voice to get the job done hell yeah you can um, so tune in next time for The Flash confirmed <laughs> well yeah obviously there's a there's a few movies coming up um, Sam clearly has um, feelings towards no hard feelings so <laughs> we might have to do we a also, on that yeah we also we gotta do Mission Impossible I was just gonna say gotta do you got to do Barbie and Oppenheimer as well. Um, might do both at the same time we've been talking about, so that should be fun as well. Yep. Um, but expect no hard feelings. <laughs> oh, that's a guarantee. I mean, the rest of them, the rest of them, you know, twenty-five percent chance. But you know, hard feelings is a hundred and three percent chance. <laughs> oh God, what are we going to get ourselves into? We're we definitely not seeing an IMAX viewing of that. I can tell you that right now. No. Probably definitely right. day one. <laughs> you can go see an IMAX viewing of it. <laughs> Trust me, man. This is a movie you need to see on the big screen. No, bro. I'm not paying like 16 bucks to see this movie. <laughs> Radio. We'll uh, catch you next time.